Welcome to the Revelation Church podcast. We trust today's message will speak to you. If you'd like to get in touch, just drop us an email at hello at revelationchurch.org.uk. Well, I don't know about you, but I love a good book. The story's got to hang together. There's got to be plenty of hints along the way which fit together to either solve the crime, the mystery, make right the tragedy, whatever it is. There needs to be a satisfying ending, no loose ends. But it's also got to be well written, that's really important. It's got to make sense. The characters need to develop throughout the book and I need to care about what happens to them. Ruth is such a book. And it's a true story at that, so that's even better. So we're halfway through it. The characters are developing. The action is flowing. And there's plenty of clues along the way that all will be well in the end. Now, Malcolm, when he's reading a book, he likes short chapters, you know, but not too much. And these are pretty short. So we'll like these. And at the beginning and end of every chapter in Ruth, you get um, a significant statement um, which just hints at how the action will be resolved or how it's going to develop. So at the end of Ruth 1, which had been pretty much full of doom and gloom throughout, um, we get the statement, Naomi and Ruth um, return from Moab to God's chosen people And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Uh So as the story goes on, we find the significance of the barley harvest in the action. Then we get to the beginning of Ruth 2. And it says, Naomi had a relative of her husband's whose name was Boaz. Ah, Boaz, remember that. First mention of the man who is going to play a vital part in the resolution of the story. And in this chapter, he plays a great role in making sure that Ruth is provided for in the fields and protected. Fast forward to the end of Ruth 2. Ruth kept close to the young women of Boaz until the end of the barley and wheat harvests, and she lived with her mother-in-law. The action's just about to shift. It's the end of the harvest. And at that point, there's just a quick pause. Ruth is living with her mother-in-law, which is what I guess she came to do. And so we come to Ruth 3. We'll read the whole chapter. It's not very long. Um, Listen out for the next clue at the beginning. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative, with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And Ruth replied, all that you say, I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly 
and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight, and in the morning, if he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. Presumably it was still dark. And he said, let it not be known that this woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, bring to Ruth, bring the garment you're wearing and hold it out. So she held it out and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then Ruth went into the city and when she came to her mother-in-law, Naomi said, how did you fare, my daughter? Then Ruth told her all that the man had done for her, saying, these six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. Lord God, we thank you that your word is living and active. And we pray today that for all of us, your living word would bring clarity, challenge, and comfort. Amen. Okay, what was the significant hint? Ruth 3.1. Naomi said, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? And other, in the Amplified Version, this verse is translated, My daughter, should I not look for security and a home for you, so that it may be well with you? This Hebrew word for security in this verse is the same word as used for rest in the first chapter in verse 9, when Naomi had urged her daughters-in-law to go back to Moab and find rest and security in the home of a new husband. The Hebrew word manuak, it speaks not only of it being a home, but what a home should be like. A home should be a place of rest and security. So in this um, verse here in Ruth 3, it's mirroring the urging of um, Naomi to Ruth and Orpah. And in a way, in, in chapter 1, for Naomi, she's got the right idea, but completely the wrong context. Now here, this is introducing for Ruth the possibility of greater blessing, I think, than she was actually expecting. See, she turned down Naomi's urging to go back to her Moabite people and find a home and husband there. She'd made the decision to stay with Naomi, embrace the true God, and had come to live with God's chosen people. 
And I don't know, I, I guess that she thought that living with and caring for Naomi w was probably as much as she could hope for in life. Um, but instead, her faithfulness and her new faith are opening up the prospect of her own security and a home. You know, sometimes the longing for these things is frowned upon a bit in a Christian context. You know what it's like? We're supposed to be sojourners in life, living in tents, you know, like Abraham, enjoying hardship and sacrifice, the worse the better. And in a real way, yes, of course we are, you know, um, we're looking forward to the city, the eternal city, but at the moment it's going to be hard. But this desire for security and a home isn't wrong so long as it's the security and home that God provides. Our security is in him. Our rest is in him. And what home looks like for each of us is up to him. But whatever it is, it will be the best. It will be where all may be well with us. Over the years at Rev, there have been so many examples of provision of housing in this most expensive of places of North London. But there's also been examples of people who have given up opportunities to live in large and lavish homes outside of London. And they have found rest and peace by being in the place that God has called them to. So as God's provision and blessing continues to be worked out, let's look at our central characters and see how they are developing. So first of all, Naomi. So a large part of Naomi's story focuses on her journey back to God's chosen people and how this affects her for good, the more she becomes part of their community again. Having moved away from God's people to a land which held enemies, barrenness, and even death, she began the journey back, back to God's chosen people in, in a state of bitterness. She was blaming God for everything, in a right old state. And at this point, her advice to her daughters-in-law, as we've seen, comes from a worldly mindset rather than echoing God's heart. Orpah and Ruth, go back to your own people and your own false gods. It's all very sensible, but it's not the finest example of evangelism I've ever heard. <laughs> but by Ruth 2, Naomi has been welcomed back into God's family. And if you read the chapter, she's starting once again to acknowledge God's provision and blessing. And then by the time we get to Ruth 3, she's coming out of despair. She's more perky. She's more outward-looking. She's more attuned to the leading of God. There's awakened hope and renewed faith in God's miraculous provision. Now, her, her plan for how Ruth is to approach Boaz, it can sound a bit strange, you know, to put it mildly. But honestly, looking at the story as a whole and how she's developing as a woman of God, I truly believe that she was following God's prompting. Her way of thinking and acting has changed because she's benefiting and being influenced by being back with the people of God. 
Hebrews 10, verses 24 and 25 say, Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. Being in a community of God's people shapes the way we think and behave for good. Back in in Numbers, when Moses was wanting to um, lead the people of Israel into the promised land, he said to his father-in-law, who wasn't a Hebrew, he said in Numbers 10, he said, come with us, come with us, and we'll do good to you. You know, we'll do you good. It will be good for you to be with us. And we know, don't we, that throughout this past two years, throughout the pandemic, it was very easy to become disengaged with the community of God's people. And in isolation, some have um, started to question, to doubt, and ultimately reject aspects of the Christian faith. And so we hear people saying, oh, we don't really need to meet together, do we? I mean, of course, you know, there's plenty of services and teaching online. I mean, some of it's amazing. I even read on Friday about a virtual reality church with specially designed headset. I kid, kid you not. It was in the church time, so it must be right. What? This reminds me of the serpent in the Garden of Eden when he sort of whispers to, to Eve, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden. It's like this. He said, did God actually say that we needed one another? Well, actually, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so stay close together. And if you have been wandering off, whether physically, you haven't been around much, or if you've been wandering off in your mind or in your heart, turn around and come back like Naomi did it will do you good. Now, one thing Naomi advised Ruth to do in preparation for her nighttime visit to Boaz was to get changed. Ruth 3, 3, wash therefore, she says, and anoint yourself and put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor. And most Bible versions actually translate this as get dressed in your best clothes. Makes sense. Now, some Bible commentators have actually interpreted this as replace your clothes of mourning from your husband and put on new clothes. There's a sense this is a time to look forward, not back. Naomi has started to do this. It's time for Ruth to do the same. And whether or not this really is the original meaning of the verse, it's still a valid point. Many of us have suffered loss of various kinds, particularly over the past two years because of the pandemic, but there may be other losses not linked to this. Now, some are more superficial, though important to us. For me, it's the loss of shops in Oxford Street. For goodness sake, I go up there, I walk along, I'm going, oh, look, Debenhams is not there anymore. I used to like going there. Carry on. House of Fraser, it's good if you've got a bit of cash. Not there anymore. Oh, what's happening? Get to Oxford Circuit, 
that great big top shop's not there. It's all closed down. It's going to be Ikea. Now, you know, I didn't myself buy a lot of stuff from Topshop for me, as you can imagine. But, you know, my daughter and I have spent many a happy hour in that Topshop. Um, one, one time, we were there for six hours without coming out. I kid you not. <laughs> that is the truth. But other losses are more painful. For me, it's, I'm saying it's time to put on my new clothes if I can find anywhere to buy them. But for others, it honestly is more painful. So I do want to be really sensitive about this, but I felt a prompting to cover it. At some point, no matter how deep the loss, it's time to look forward, because we don't want to miss God's plans for our future. If we keep wearing our morning clothes, if we continually look back and wish things were as they were, we run the risk of missing God's provision and plans for our future. It's too easy to do. We look back. We, lo- you know, we mourn the loss of how things used to be. Who used to be at Rev? The Irish Centre. I like the Irish Centre. Yeah. Or it's your lifestyle. It's so different before. A job. I love that job, but they've taken it from me. It's different for all of us. But there's a time to mourn and there's a time to rejoice. There's a time to look ahead. And if it's a person that you're mourning through bereavement, you are not betraying them. The love you have for them has not been diminished by looking forward to the future. And at the end of the chapter, I don't know whether you noticed, um, Ruth's cloak or her new clothes became the means by which she received provision and blessing from Boaz. In verse 15, he said, bring the garment you're wearing and hold it out. So she held it out and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Now, none of the commentators can agree how much a measure is, but they all said it's a lot. And there definitely was a sense that she sort of staggered back to Naomi, actually. So think carefully today. Are you spending too much time looking back? Don't miss God's provision and blessing that's ahead. And so Ruth, how's she doing? Well, throughout this story, Ruth has shown herself to be a feisty, faithful woman, as the sort of woman I like. We're all like that, girls. And with wisdom to make the right decisions, starting with sticking there with Naomi and seeking a place in the family of God. And in Ruth too, as Steph said last time, Ruth showed wisdom and discernment in where to seek protection when she gleaned in the fields. Here, in Ruth 3, she's being wise in who to seek protection with or from, who to make herself vulnerable to. As with Naomi, Ruth's faith is developing as she becomes more and more immersed in the people of God. Did you notice, in Ruth 3, verse 5, she said to Naomi, all that you say, I will do. Now, I have two wonderful daughters-in-law and one gorgeous daughter, but I can't imagine them ever saying this to me. (laughs) And quite right, too. They know me too well. But in this context, Ruth is doing the right thing. 
it's in stark contrast to her um, reply to Naomi in Ruth 1, when um, Naomi says, okay, go back to your gods. And she says, no, not likely, I'm coming with you. But here, she's recognizing that Naomi is now speaking and acting out of faith and following God's way. So, looking at Naomi and Ruth together, they both highlight the blessing of seeking out and staying close to God's people. Whereas when we look at Ruth and Boaz, that highlights the blessing of seeking out and staying close to God himself. Okay, so there's no doubt about it. This is a funny old incident. Let's be clear. Listen to what I'm saying. This was not the ancient Hebrew equivalent of a Christian dating app. Okay, look, don't try this at home. Guys and girls, just don't go there, all right? Trust me, it won't end well. This was a one-off situation a long time ago. (laughs) The principle of what Ruth was doing was exactly as the law stated. She was bringing to Boaz's attention the fact that he had a legal responsibility to redeem her situation and her family line. The way she went about it was not as stated in the law. If the man she had made herself vulnerable to had been less honourable, things could have gone badly wrong. But remember, she had already experienced something of Boaz's kindness, his protection and his provision when she was working in the fields. So he wasn't a completely unknown quantity. Who are we looking to for protection at the moment in our lives? Who or what are we making ourselves vulnerable to? Is it the wisest course of action? Now, at this point, Ruth goes off script, as it were. She follows Naomi's instruction so far. But then, when Boaz sort of wakes up and asks who she is, Rather than waiting for Boaz to tell her what to do, which is what Naomi said she had to do, she basically speaks out and tells him he has to marry her. So Ruth 3 verse 9, Boaz said, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. The word for wings here can also be translated or mean corners of a garment. And that's how other versions sometimes translate this verse. Spread the corner of your garment over me. And in Jewish custom, this was symbolic of entering into a marriage covenant. Um, So Boaz would certainly have known what she meant. But when she says this to Boaz, Ruth's words are mirroring or reflecting back to him the words that he said to her in Ruth 2, when he said to her in 2.12, the Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Boaz there asks God to bless Ruth. Here, he becomes the means of God's blessing. And the word wings is sort of like a a metaphor for what somebody put was the protective outreach of God's power. 
This picture of finding refuge under God's wings runs throughout the Old Testament, particularly the Psalms, and into the New, where Jesus, in Matthew 23, verse 37, he weeps over the state of Jerusalem, and he says, How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you would not what does it actually mean to take refuge under the shelter of God's wings? You know, I think at the heart of it is asking God to cover us with his forgiveness. That's at the complete heart of it. We will to be protected from the consequences of our sin and wrongdoing. And he can and will do that because of the sacrifice of Jesus. And from that, all protection all refuge, all security will come. But we need to ask for the forgiveness first. And I wonder for those of us, perhaps, who have already asked for forgiveness, ongoingly, though, how often are we actively looking for God's protection, for his refuge, for his security? Let's be like Ruth and be bold in asking for it because it's what he longs for us to do. And this goes right back to the beginning, that yearning for security and for rest. Let's find this in the protective outreach of God's power. And let's look to see what that practically will look like in our lives. And finally, Boaz. Not so much to say about him. I wanted to focus on the other two. But in Boaz, we find both a contrast to Jesus and a sort of a a type of, a foreshadowing of Jesus. Sort of the sense of, Boaz is like this, how much the more is Jesus our redeemer? So just a few little bullet points about Boaz. Boaz was initially unaware of Ruth at his feet, as we've seen. Very simple, but it's very true. God knows us. He knows all about us. He neither slumbers nor sleeps. If today you think he's completely ignoring you and your situation, he is not. He's totally there for you. Boaz got himself caught up in the plan of Naomi and Ruth and the initiative that they took. With God, he is always the one who is in ultimate control. Though he also he does love godly initiative and active obedience, as our two ladies showed but he is in control. Boaz was willing to provide refuge and provision for Ruth. And I guess that lasted as long as they were both on earth. But how much the more does God provide the ultimate provision of eternal salvation through the sacrifice of Jesus? It's there forever. And of course, in this story, in this chapter, all of a sudden, there was a new relative with a stronger, closer claim. There's a a new character introduced to create a little frisson, a little bit of uncertainty. How's it going to go? No one has a closer claim to us. Jesus defeated Satan on the cross. Only Jesus is our kinsman, redeemer. And that's the only one we want, believe me. And so we come to the ending of the chapter. What was the clue for the next part of the action? 
Naomi says to Ruth, she says, wait and see what happens. The man will not rest until the matter is settled today. Now, in the context of the story, it's Boaz who is eager to settle the matter, to provide redemption and security for Ruth. How much the more does God want to settle the matter of our redemption and our eternal security from the consequences of our sin and for all that he has for us? And many of us here, of course, have sought out God. We have put our trust in him. And we have experienced and do experience the assurance of his eternal security, of his eternal forgiveness. If you're not a Christian, maybe you'd like to think carefully about where you're finding refuge. Today could be your day to seek out God and put your hope and trust in him. Today could be the day that you find refuge and protection from the consequences of all that you've done wrong. And if you do that, God promises that you will find him. It says in Jeremiah 29, verses 13 and 14, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And in Psalm 95, verse 8, it says this, Today, if you should hear his voice, do not harden your heart. When I was 16, I believed that I heard God's voice. I believe he called me to turn away from sin and to follow him. And I did believe in God, thought of, and I did know that I should become a Christian. But I sort of had this plan in place, okay? That I would have a good time while I was young. And, you know, and then when I was old, when I was 30, yeah, <laughs> then I would become a Christian because by the time I was 30, I would be too old to, you know, sort of have fun and do all those things I'd really like to do. So I might as well become a Christian then. But at that point... I, w I was very convicted. I did know God was calling. And I sort of prayed. And I said to God, uh, okay, God, I, and this isn't really theological, how you do it, but this is what I did. I will become a Christian soon. <laughs> and I felt God say to me at that point, well, why not now? If God calls you, if you seek him, you would be wise to respond to his voice. At that point, I said, okay, God. Now, I didn't have a lot of understanding. Even at that point, to be honest, I didn't fully grasp the need for forgiveness. But that was the beginning of my journey with God, which I know will lead me through to eternity. And believe me, there's more fullness of life with God than on your own. You know, no doubt about it. So if that's you, it could happen today. And if you're thinking, well, you know, it all sounds very well, but how do I actually go about seeking and finding God? 
Or you perhaps could start with the points that we've raised in this chapter. Seek out and stay close to God's people. Seek out Jesus and ask him for his protection and his security from your independent lifestyle, from your wrongs. And then expect him to settle the matter, maybe even today. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much that you long to show us refuge and protection from ourselves, from our wrongdoing, from our independence. Thank you that we turn from looking backwards and look forward with you. You have good plans and provision for us. And Lord, we pray that for each one of us here today, wherever we are, whatever state we are in, we pray, God, that you would call us and move us forward with you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your love. Amen.